This is the Captain with True Crime Garage, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. What's going on, bud? Not much. How are you doing? Co-host of one of my favorite podcasts out there, True Crime Garage. It's the Captain. <laughs> Dude, thanks for calling in, man. <laughs> Yeah, you get, you got to find some better shows to listen to. Yeah, dude, I know, man. I'm struggling. I'm digging the bottom of the barrel. I'm like, you know what? Let me get the True Crime Garage guy on. <laughs> <laughs> it's the lowest of the lows. Hey, I hate to do this, but we have to be generic for like a few minutes because I want to lay the groundwork to describe your podcast. Two close friends okay. hanging out in a garage, drinking beer, breaking down crime stories. What can you add to that? Well, I mean, that's kind of how it all started was we always, well, other than phone calls, would always end up in Nick's garage talking about something. And a lot of it was me posing some kind of question. Like, What's the greatest love song <laughs> that's not about, like, a man loving a woman or a woman loving a, a man or whatever, right? And after we would get through music or sports and always go to crime and then it would go for hours upon hours and when everybody was started doing the podcast started becoming more important in Nick's life and in my life we kind of always jokingly said hey you know we we talked for hours let's what if we did a podcast and he was the one that was like let's do true crime so I blame him. What, what were you doing before becoming a podcaster? Like, what were you and Nick doing to pay the bills? So Nick worked for a, a property management company. And it was pretty successful as, like, as far as, like, our group of friends. Like, everybody was, everybody was impressed with him. He, he, he didn't go to college. He always worked. But everybody thought, oh, he's really smart. He'll land on his feet. And it took him a while. I mean, sometimes he was up, sometimes he was down. Well, he started working for a property management company, but simply he was working for a very wealthy person uh, where they'd hire employees at their mansion. And he was one of those employees. Did very well, but worked a ton of hours. Mm -hmm. I mean, 70, 80, yeah, 70, 80 hours a week. And me and Nick were in a we were in a band together in high school, like a rap rock band. And I continued to play music and teach guitar. And I knew like pretty early on that I was never going to make much money. <laughs> I was just going to be <laughs> uh, broke. And um, because of my marriage and a couple things, I, I, I started uh, working in the banking system um, as a banker and we both ended up getting laid off at the at the same time. So then it became I think we were sitting in his garage and we were talking about our severance packages <laughs> and how long he didn't have to work for and he was always good with money because he also was working so much that he was like oh, well, I got so much in my savings account that even when my time runs out, I might not even get a job. I'm going to really try to wait for the right thing. And I'm broke, and I just got a divorce, and I lost my house, my wife. Uh, she had two kids, so I lost my kids. I lost my dog. Oh, God. I lost the truck. I mean, I was like a whole country album, not even just one song, <laughs> a whole country album. And I was, and and I was living in Richmond at the time, uh, in Richmond, Indiana. And the only people I knew there were was my, you know, in-laws or my ex-in-laws. And um, I called so many people to help me. Like, just I gotta, I just gotta move back home. I gotta move back home. And uh, Nick was one of the only people to help me. And I moved back in with my parents. I'm, you know, 30-some years old, and and both of my parents were like, okay, well, you got a couple months. We'll give you, you know, why don't you take some time off? You got a severance package. You know, let's give you a, we'll give you a couple months. 
But I remember being in Nick's garage and he said, I want to do a true crime show. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. So, I, you know, since Nick stepped up, I was going to ask you, you know, a lot of radio teams, podcast teams, they have beef, they break up. You guys seem to be going pretty strong, right? Uh, well, yeah, we're getting, we're actually getting stronger. Uh, cause we, we, we actually recorded, I don't know, five or six episodes in his garage and it was the dead of summer and I was dripping sweat onto the computer and it was gross and his dogs would get let out every time we were recording. So they were barking and he got really drunk one night and we were talking some friends were there. I was talking. I was telling a story. He comes out of nowhere. That's not what happened. Uh, and then threatens to kick my ass. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, if you want to fight, we can fight. I don't care. Because uh, we're in a band together. So, you know. So arguments is, uh, yeah, arguments is normal, you guys. Yeah, well, I'd write the back in the day. I'd write the music. He would write the lyrics, and would always butt heads and I mean, choke slams, uh, sucker punches. I mean, you name it, it happened when we're in the band. So after about six episodes, and we never released those six episodes. We just had these six episodes on my computer. I packed my stuff up. I told him to go f himself, and then I said, "I'm done." And I think. Uh, the way I tell the story was it was months later. Mm -hmm. The way he tells the story was it was about a few weeks later where he called me, apologized, and said, you know, look, I know we haven't even released this to anybody yet, but I really think we're on to something. And that's when I said, okay, well, we can't record in your garage anymore. We have to record. Um, and I was in a... Uh, uh, kind of like an attic space above a garage. So it was still in a garage and it would drive me insane because people would see like these pictures and they'd go, that looks like a bedroom. And I'm like, it's, it's in a garage. Like you could not, you could not get to the room unless you're coming from the garage. So yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And, but, but he had this whole idea for how the show was going to be. He was, he had all these intro catchphrases. He even told me, at the end of every show, I'm going to say, don't litter. And I was like, who cares? <laughs> like, how are you, you know? Uh, and, and we came up with all these ideas, not thinking that it was going to, anything was going to happen. I was like, I'm going to create music for each episode. Um, original music for each episode. Who? I mean, that's a lot of work. A ton of work for a podcast. But you know what? You're yes. no. The work shows up, and so you just mentioned you had a few shows in the bank. You're approaching 300 episodes now. When did you when did you guys know you had something? Was there a moment when you're like, whoa, whoa, this just picked up, or this might be something? How far along till you guys knew you had something? Well, let's see. So after about like the three months that my uh, parents gave me to get my together um i was interning and the reason why you know i went by the captain and never used my real name was because i was teaching kids how to record how to create music how to do uh, art projects uh through a company called U media and they partner with libraries public libraries and i was interning doing that and hoping to get a job and the three months has passed, uh, but my parents could see that I'm interning, and I told them, give me a little more time. You know, I I really want to do something with my life. I don't want to do, you know, when, when you're married, you just kind of do what you have to do and pay the bills, and mm -hmm. I was taking every gig I could, and I'd play, on, I'd play four or five nights a week and, and work at the bank and teach uh, guitar, whatever I had to do to make ends meet. And I was like, I really want to do something with my life. And we we were through a website company. We we just had a generic website. We still have a generic website. We do it all ourselves. Uh, we're not website designers. So people always 
We have companies every day that say, we can update your website. We go, we don't care about that. But they had a free service that we could put our our podcast out for free. And all these other companies were like 30 bucks a month, $100 a month. Mm-hmm. So we put it out for free. Well, we can we couldn't tell how many downloads we're getting. Oh, that's horrible. There was, no, <laughs> there was no analytics. Well, but it was good in a sense because we had no clue, you know. So if there was a jump up or, or, or there was a dip down, we had no clue. We had, we didn't know if 10 people were listening or – but I, I ran a bunch of – I did a lot of social media work and, and website stuff booking i worked for a small label for uh, a little bit of time and to get 10 people to a musician website when you have facebook and and all these other social media outlets it was a challenge and we're getting 50 people a day to our our website 100 people a day and i thought wow it must be doing something so you had a clue like okay no analytics but i know there's a little bit of buzz going on about this a little bit of buzz, and we covered the Brian Schaefer case, which is a missing guy from Columbus, Ohio, and, and and he went missing from a bar. They have record of him going into the bar and no record of him leaving the bar. Well, I played a bar right beside that bar uh, called World Beer, probably once a week or every other week. And I went to the gig, and we just put out a little bonus episode where you had to pay for it, and we just started telling people, hey, we're going to take beer donations. And I left my house, and when I came back to my house, I was checking the PayPal the whole time because money started coming in. Wow. And I got back to my house, and I remember thinking, like, I I made almost, you know, more money in a day through the podcast than I did playing the gig, which was awesome. But again, we have no analytics, so we have no clue how many people are listening. And and I think the next week we go to upload the show. It won't upload. People are going, where's the show? Wow. I wake up in the morning. The the website company sent us an email saying, look, congratulations on your podcast. We should have told you earlier. We've been paying thousands of dollars a month to host your website just because of the bandwidth. Come on. Yeah. They said, congratulations. Here's a list of podcast host providers. (laughs) And I wish they would have told me like a couple weeks in advance so we could have told people because, because once you go to another hosting site, you lose your RSS feed. So now we had to put out a show. We put out the show. If you were subscribed before, you're not subscribed. You have to now subscribe to the new RSS feed. And I just remember uh, maybe the first day there was like 4,000 downloads or something like that Um, or or something like that. And I thought, well, that's pretty big. And if if it's roughly 5,000 a day, well, that's 35,000 downloads in a week. That's pretty nuts. Well, the second day we hit like 12,000 downloads. Whoa. And then like the third day we hit like 17,000 downloads or something. And I then I was going, oh, well, <laughs> if it's that, now we're getting 100,000 people uh, a, a week. Well, this is really something, <laughs> you know. Um, and so I started emailing uh, agents, ad agents saying, hey, I think we have something here. Um, and I think we our biggest download of that week was like 35,000 or something. Yeah. And then I, that's when I knew, because I studied this philosophy called the Thousand True Fans. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the Thousand True Fans is every artist, painter, musician, bass player, a bass player. Think about Nobody wants to sit around and listen to a bass player just play. But if you can find a thousand bass players that really like what that guy is doing and they part with a hundred dollars, like you make a record that's 
10 bucks to, you know, do that. You do a clinic where they pay 10 bucks to watch it. You do some Skype lessons that pay 10 bucks to take one of those. You make a T-shirt that pay 10 bucks for that. And if you can get them to part with $100, that you would make about $100,000 a year. What? And, yeah, that, that's interesting. Holy shit, I never thought of that. Yeah, it's called a thousand truth fans. Um, I did not come up with the idea, <laughs> um, but but it was a theory that was out there, but nobody's really. And what I've actually been working on is mathematical equations and little things that you need to do in order to hit that number. Well, as we're getting these listens and downloads and they're big numbers, I thought to myself, well, with selling T-shirts bonus episodes, beer donations. We sell some of the music that is on the show. If we could come up with some different products that we might be able to make a little over a hundred thousand and if you split that from between two people, fifty grand a piece. And in Columbus, Ohio, that's not a bad living. Like you can live and you'd have an okay house and you'd drive an okay car, but you'd be doing what you love. And, and that's where I really thought um, it would, be, you know, that we could get to. Any other shows or podcasts, docu series influence you guys? Because your format's different. So any any other shows that kind of influence you guys? Um. Well, say I was huge into Adam Carolla, Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. but also really into shows like This American Life where they're telling a story and putting that to music. So we kind of knew that we wanted to have that idea. And initially our idea was to have the show start, the music comes in, and and what we call the trailer uh, that we do every week would tell the whole story. And it would give you all the details. But what we found out is every case is different. Some cases, you can tell the whole story in 10 minutes. Other cases, it takes you an hour to tell tell all the details. So it was really kind of a combination of there was a lot of shows that were diving into subject matters, whether it's true crime or not, that there was two hosts and they would one would take the lead and the, and the other one would kind of chime in. And... And then there was other shows that were just one host that was set to music. So we kind of wanted to have the idea of doing both, that we can do both. Um, and then it kind of just evolves. And then now we're getting to the point where sometimes the, our standard format's boring to us. You know, it might not be boring to the <laughs> listener, but to us it is. So we're, now we're, we're talking to a lot more families of victims or um even sometimes suspects um, of a crime. And so we, we, we try to salt and pepper it in with our natural format and then um, interviews and stuff like that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because your last episode uh, was a 296, 297, two of the most unique episodes I've ever heard in any format, whether it be podcast, radio, TV, documentaries. You guys broke down the Tyler Davis missing person case but you guys didn't just do the case. You did two episodes with the missing husband, with the victim's wife as a guest. Can you describe that case? Because yeah. this, I'm telling you, very rarely. You know what I hate when like you go up to somebody, oh, bro, watch this YouTube clip. And it's like four minutes of like a fucking squirrel on a, on a surfboard. You're like, this is yeah. ridiculous. But I got to work today. And I told everyone, I'm like, dude, I don't ever promote or tell everybody you have to listen to the show. It's fascinating. So tell everybody about the show, about the wife, and how different this podcast was. So we live in Columbus, Ohio. I've been fascinated with the Brian Schaefer case. Like I said, guy goes into a bar a couple hours before closing, tells his two friends, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go talk to the band come to find out later that I know everybody in the band. The band doesn't remember talking to him. Please claim that there's no footage of this guy leaving the bar. So man goes into the man goes into the bar, disappears. So missing person cases have always fascinated me. I like the what if. Well, a couple months ago, up in a very popular part of town, it's called Easton Town Center, and basically what it is, it's a giant mall 
some shops are inside the mall, and but most of them are outside, and it's set up like a little town. And this couple, young couple, 23 and 29, I believe, uh, the wife being 23, husband being 29, they come from out of town. They go out to a couple bars. They get back from the Uber. He's drunk, a little confused, a little angry, and he takes off walking. And they got footage of him leaving the hotel area, and that's it. He just nobody can find him. And this has been going on since February 24th. So we're talking, you know, months later, and there hasn't been that many stories uh, about the case. I've looked it up, uh, and then one of uh, uh, funny how all these worlds collide. Every band has a group of girls that follows them around. Okay. <laughs> um, and if you ever watch Almost Famous, you have groupies, mm-hmm. and then you have the Band-Aids, is what they call them. Um, they're not groupies. They're, they're your friends. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So one, one of my friends, a great person named Tara, she's now married, and uh, her husband gives me a lot of crap because you know, he, he thinks of her as a groupie, and I'm like, she was not a groupie. She's this friend. She contacted me. Well, I actually had a couple of people contact me saying, hey, the the wife of this missing guy would love to talk to somebody. And I said, well, give me her information. I'll call her. Well, every time I, I said that, nobody gave me a number or nothing. So I just kind of left her alone, and my friend Tara said, hey, uh, do you want to talk to her? I said yes, thinking that she already talked to her and knew her, and she didn't, but then she reached out to her, and she basically said, I'll, I'll do this interview with you. Well, I talked to her on the phone. She comes across pretty good on the phone, so I said, well, let's just set up an interview time. And then she started ducking the interviews. Oh. And it was really frustrating, and I eventually just said to her, hey, look, you know, it's, it's not my husband. I'm not trying to make money off you. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just, I'm trying to get your story out there. And you're claiming that you're talking to all these people, but nobody's running the story. So finally we set up a time and her schedule is just weird. And we set up a time to do an interview at midnight. We talked till about three o'clock in the morning. And then from there I took that and chopped up Uh, because some of the stuff uh, that we talked about, we probably talked for an hour after the interview, and that stuff I, you know, I told her we're done recording. So once I said done recording, but what's so fascinating about this case is one, she's 23, so she comes off as a 23 year old, which then can be suspicious. Of course, and she knows that. But what's also interesting is she has her cell phone records, his cell phone records has her bank account statements and his bank account statements. So after she was interviewed by the cops and she got these statements, she sat down and and wrote down as much as she could remember. So it's a very detailed account, which on one hand makes her look like she's doing everything she can to bring her husband home. And then on the other side of things, it's so detailed that it makes her look suspicious. She can never win, you know, no matter what. Um, people were critiquing that she kept saying, you know what I mean? Or people like, how does she know those deal? But I'll tell you why you did a great job. You were saying she knows he called her at 410 because of the phone record. So you were reiterating the reason she was so detailed. One, it was two months ago and her husband's missing. Two, because she had all the computerized text messages, Uber receipts, and bar receipts. So that's why she knew the details so, uh, like... So perfectly, right? Yeah. And and then some of this stuff was she's just guessing. Look, our bill was thirty four bucks. My drink was around five. Yeah. I drank three of them roughly. So that would be fifteen bucks. So this is all stuff that she's tried to think about, hoping that maybe if she remembers something that it, it helps in some way. Um, but the police have done I've talked to the lead detective now multiple times um, because when she was ducking the interview at first, I just, 
I thought it was a little fishy, so I called, talked to the lead detective. He said, look, you know, she's 23. I think she means well. If you think this could get people talking, you know, try, push to get this interview. So I did it more as a service to the community than anything. And, um, and then also the, you know, when you can't find somebody and he just goes missing into thin air, you have a, excuse me, you have a, you have some suspicion on her. So he, he also, Hey, get that interview. Cause I want to hear it myself, you know? <laughs> of course. Uh, so I try, I try to keep it as original to what she's saying. There's a couple of times, obviously that she's going, Oh, or, pauses and I, and I cut those out but some of the stuff I, I was trying to I don't I could I could have went through and took out every literally or every like or every you know what I mean mm-hmm. but to me at that point then it's it's just not real your thoughts and I, yeah. I thought we we're doing I just thought we we're doing something good for her and and it's it's amazing too that we have so many listeners and I told so many people look she is getting bashed on the internet and she has been so cooperative and if anything trying to spearhead the investigation um and so yeah it was just a but it was fascinating because you normally don't have those situations and you know if he's never found you know at least we can say that we tried to help like she did everything she could. Yeah, you said the stories in your own backyard. It hit. It hits home. Any progress on it? Because listen, I live in New York City in Manhattan. So, and I hate to say this, there's no missing persons because there's cameras, eighty cameras on in every building. So we don't have missing persons to this degree. So I'm just fascinated when I read the paper. It's like been two months, can't find the dude. But it seems like it's not like a wooded area like she described. Is there any progress on the case? Well, that's the weird thing is there's patches of woods. I, I want to call them woods myself. I, I, you know, for a small period of my childhood, I grew up in the country. So woods to me is hundreds of acres. And this guy is from more of a country background, but he was a video gamer, mm-hmm. heavily into video games. And so when he says, you know, so that's kind of the big part of the story is he, after he blows off the steam, he calls her and look, this is pure speculation. This is what she's saying. He said, we have no evidence. He said this, but what she's claiming is, Hey, I, you know, I'm on my way back. I see the hotel. I'm in the woods and I'll be there in a minute. And they never showed up. So if you Google map this, there are little spots of woods. And there is a park that's pretty close, which is a pretty big park. But he wouldn't have been able to see the hotel. But again, we don't have, you know, the the cops are battling right now with Verizon because we have his phone records because his plan was through his parents. So the parents could get that. But that's just a call log. That doesn't tell you where the cell phone pings happen. It doesn't tell you what, if there was text messages. Verizon has the ability to pull all of his text messages mm-hmm. and the cops actually have reason to believe she claims that he called at 410, talked, said, I'm in the woods, I'll be there in a minute, and at 411 called back and there was a four-second call where she said, obviously, hello, and he didn't answer and the phone stopped and she thought at that point his phone probably died because so every time she called after that, it went straight to voicemail. Well, the cops believe that there was phone activity, whether it's through Snapchat, Facebook, text messages, or calling another individual. They believe that there was some activity on his phone after that 4-11 time period. But the, the cops' hands are tied when Verizon is not turning over this information. Um, so there has been some sighting. They have ixnayed. Uh, some of the sightings, they've been able to go out and realize that person somebody thought they saw is not Tyler. Uh, but there's been a couple sightings within Ohio that they haven't been able to rule out. So there's still a possibility somewhere. But there is no activity on his bank 
um, accounts at all. He has made no contact with his family, uh, has made no contact. And maybe if you're in a bad marriage or you don't want to be married, you don't contact your your wife. But you probably contact your parents at some point. So the strangest thing is what they got going for him or the best thing that they got going for him is that Tyler has a very unique birthmark. It starts on his right hand, goes all the way up his arm, up his shoulder, up to his neck. You can see it if he has a collared shirt on. And you can see it. I mean, you can see the birthmark on his hand, even if he has long sleeves on. It's normally red. If it gets really cold, it turns more of a purplish color. And she sent me a lot of these pictures. It almost looks like he has, like, eczema or something mm-hmm. or some... Uh, but it is it is a birthmark, so which is very interesting. Uh, but it's <laughs> there's so much nonsense out there. I mean, there's a whole web there's a whole website or, or Facebook page now about conspiracy theories with Tyler Davis. There's people that are trying to say that the Brian Schaefer missing person yeah. case is linked <laughs> to Tyler Davis. And then, like, here's the thing: is I I don't mind a good conspiracy theory, but. I just don't like when the facts are wrong mm-hmm. because they said, well, Tyler had a tattoo on his forearm and so did Brian Schaefer. No, Brian Schaefer had a tattoo on his shoulder. There's a big difference between a shoulder tattoo and a forearm tattoo. But uh, they, they just make these leaps and bounds of connecting these cases together. Not with this case in particular, but have you guys dealt with any, any backlash towards you guys or criticism on cases from the show? Like, have you guys dealt with some shit? Well, if you, like, look up our iTunes reviews, like, all the bad ones are basically that they hate me and they love the other guy. <laughs> and they listen to the show if they just get rid of me. Um, so I get that a lot. I've been told to hang myself, jump off a bridge. Um, so, I, I mean, it, it, I think we try to be so respectful to the victims and to the idea of... And we're also not know-it-alls. Mm-hmm. We put out opinions. Our opinions change. Our, our our opinions on a lot of cases are constantly evolving. So there's cases like West Memphis 3, where you had three eight-year-old boys murdered. And then they charged three teenagers. Uh, two got life in prison. One got death row. For a long time, people thought they were guilty. The teenagers were guilty. And then the public turned and thought they were innocent. And then there was kind of a backswing and then people started thinking they're guilty again. So I think, um, I think you have to have the right to change your opinion if you get more evidence. Um, but you know, the people that disagree, I, I think the discussion is more important when you don't agree. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think we've been pretty lucky on the fact that people, at least respect our opinions for the most part. And are we going to agree on every case with, with each, you know, audience member? No, it's just not going to happen. It's beyond ironic. You just brought up uh, the West Memphis three. Damien Eccles is actually one of my closest friends. Oh God. Don't tell me that. Why, why, why? Okay. So, uh, I got set his book. Okay, wait, now which one? Is this the West of Men- uh, the Paradise Law, uh, the Devil's Knot, or the Black Magic one? The Black Magic one. Okay. His newest one. Yes, his new one. And I just, so, and I don't know the whole story because I'm friends with Bob Ruff, which really tried to do a, a bunch of stuff on their case and did a whole series, a whole uh, series, and they ended up talking with Damien. Mm-hmm. And Damien claims that you can't talk about the case. Mm-hmm. And that is that is factually not true. Mm-hmm. Um, he is now because he uh, Alfred pleads weird because you're technically claiming that you're you're basically pleading guilty, mm-hmm. but you're pleading guilty on the idea that they have enough evidence to convict you, but you're remaining innocent. So he can't so. Actually, he can't, I believe he's not allowed by law to write a book detailing his case since you 
criminals can't profit off of a crime that they committed or a crime that yeah you, it's the yeah the son of sam law right but he can still talk about it mm-hmm. uh and and in in uh damien's defense because i find him very fascinating mm-hmm. um i would love to have uh, a tattoo done by him because all my tattoos are black just like damien's it's like aesthetic aesthetically we have the same eye for our tattoos um but i've given him some shit because when they got out they made it clear that they can do more damage on the outside do more damage being free and try to come to some conclusion on this case Mm -hmm. get you know, they might not be able to ever try somebody again. But uh, I think they could come to the state with enough evidence that the, the state could actually lift the conviction against them, the Alfred plea conviction, and actually go after somebody. So, um, but I get, but I've given them a little shit every now and then because when when you're so invested in that case and he seems like a good guy, that it's like, and they can't give you updates every week of what's happening. And, and I know that they're probably still paying people to investigate stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I have been critical on, hey, talk more about the case. Hey, uh, let's let's get funding together. Let's do more, you know. And, and it's kind of, you know, since they've been released, there hasn't been much new information about the case. And at the end of the day, if Damien, Jesse, um, and Jason were not involved, they are victims. Mm-hmm. But that case has three eight-year-old victims that there's no justice for yet. You nailed the biggest uh, critique whenever they come on, whenever Damien's on my show or Opie's show. He'll tell, you know, we usually just talk about whatever bullshit we want to talk about, not the case anymore. But the biggest criticism is the case because everyone's like, no, 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 we heard the whole story. We heard your version. We heard um, about the horrible time in jail, getting released. But that's where the story ends. And that's where the frustration begins for everyone. Everyone's like, dude, you're out now. Just give us something that we can go on by alibis and this. And that's the biggest critique. So you nailed what everyone else was talking about, though. So, Well, but... I just watched Devil's Knot yesterday. That's the first time I've seen it. And I'm, I've been pretty obsessed with the West Memphis three case. That's one of the cases that uh, me and Nick have talked about. I bet if you total up how many hours we we're talking weeks of our lives <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. about that case. And I just watched the Devil's Knot movie and it was the first time, I mean, I always knew there, what people that think that, there's a lot of people that think they're guilty. The thing that people have to understand is they portray it as if Jesse, Jason, and Damien were best friends. Jason and Damien were best friends. This Jesse character was an outlier. They were not close with him. And the only connection the only way that they could make a connection with all three of them was a lady that came into the police department named Vicki Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. And she flat out lied uh, to the cops. And so much so that they never used her to testify and so much so that they never used her son to testify because she was feeding her son information uh, and claiming that the son was there and witnessed the murder. And, and she needs to be looked into because uh, one of the things that I pointed out, which I think has never been brought uh, up in any other podcast or any other documentary, documentary that I've seen, is that there was an individual, a uh, male, black, that was bloody. Is this the Bojangles part? Yeah. The, y- yeah. The, he, 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 went, he went to a restaurant called Bojangles, went into the female's bathroom. Again, muddy, bloody. They collected the blood evidence. They lost it, so they never tested it, which I bet money they never lost it. Mm-hmm. I bet money it's still somewhere, but they're not testing it. Or they tested it, and they know it's not any of those three boys. But 
Vicki Hutchinson owned a car, and I don't have the information in front of me, but she owned it was a car or a truck, and it was blue. Mm-hmm. And there was, uh, around the time the boys went missing, in that neighborhood, there was a call that there was a, a black man driving one of these cars, and he was driving erratically. And that's in the police reports around the time the boys went missing. So in the neighborhood the boys went missing from, they have an individual that's in a car that matches the car that Vicki Hutchinson owns. And Vicki Hutchinson claims that she couldn't find her son because he wanted to go play with those three boys. And he was actually in that neighborhood at the time. And so I've always wondered, did she give somebody her car to go look for her son, and then he somehow stumbled upon those three boys. And then did that individual end up in the restaurant at Bojangles? Um, But, no, I'd love to – I mean, I know Bob uh, Ruff has talked with Damien a lot. Like I said, I'd be honored to – and I'd pay good money to – get a, a tattoo he's still doing tattoos right yeah he does them a little bit hey real... yeah he's probably like i know that guy yeah, yeah. fuck that guy <laughs> yeah, yeah hey oh the captain from true crime garage <laughs> fuck him yeah true crime i've had on authors like harold Schechter, eric larson a bunch of other ones what is it about the genre that just fascinates people it seems people just can never get enough of true crime like harold Schechter puts out a book Everyone's buying it. Eric Lawson, a true crime book. What is it about the genre that people just flip out over? Well, what's strange is initially this was a a male-dominated genre as far as authors, podcasters, um, people that were into it. Um, And I think that stems from Unsolved Mysteries and America's Most Wanted and all that stuff. But now I would say that I don't know, 75 to 80% of, of our audience is female, and which is fascinating. And I, I love that aspect of it. <laughs> um, you know, because it's not bad when you show up to a, a, a meetup and it's uh, 90% female. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's always a perk. Uh, but it's funny because we always gravitate toward, you know, if, uh, if a husband of, of one of the ladies say, oh, I listen to your show too. We will gravitate towards them because we never get to talk to the male fans and, 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 and public. So I, I, I don't know. It's, it's tough because, you know, my father was a detective. So, and it's not brought up a lot on the show because he never really talked about his job a lot, but he also never went home and watched true crime documentaries or didn't read true crime books because he lived it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think the more we do it, it's it's so strange because I meet some people that are like, I love the solved cases. And to me, the solved cases are almost pointless. Why are we covering this? We should cover cases that aren't solved, cases that we could drum up some leads. Um, Because those what-if cases, I think, the reason why people like those, it's a puzzle. It's this puzzle, and if you can put together the pieces of the puzzle, um, you know, maybe you could get somewhere. I, 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 I think it's that, and I also think it's really hard, if you, and try to do this sometimes. Like, I've been in a fight before. I've been in a fist fight before, but there's normally some escalation. But to think of these moments where somebody like, take Ted Bundy, for example. Mm -hmm. He used to do this trick where he'd wear a cast on one arm. Like a sling. Yeah, and he'd ask somebody to help him with his canoe or help, can you help me get this in? And at some point, they go to help him, and boom, he violently attacks him. And to think about how that attack went down either being the person that is attacking or being attacked, it is so hard to wrap your head around. It's so hard to even visualize what was happening that I think there is, there's that animalistic instinct in us, this fight or flight thing 
and I think we're just fascinated, fascinated because it's not the normal. It's not the normal for there to be murderers. It's not the normal for people to act like this. But I think it's such a part of our distant past that it's we can't wrap our head around certain concepts. Or like take Casey Anthony. People cannot wrap their head around somebody that would murder their child. And I think that kind of stuff, we want to know explanations where there probably will never be a good enough explanation. Like I said, I had fruit, uh, Damien told me and a few different authors told me that sometimes they'll get fans and other people to send them shit. Have you guys ever gotten any uh, crazy shit sent to you guys? Oh, we get stuff sent to us all the time, and it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the best parts of the job. We get we get beer sent to us a lot, wine. Um, like I said, Damien, I got Damien's new book sent to me. Mm-hmm. A lot of true crime books, which is great because if you really want to dive into a case, a long-form podcast, that's, that's one of the reasons why we went to two episodes. Most of the cases we cover, it takes two hours to really dissect it. And hopefully when you uh, – the best compliment we've ever got is I've watched documentaries about this case. I've read articles, and I listen to your show, and I learn more about the case than I ever thought I would. And that's something that we pride ourselves on. But, yeah, nothing – well, I guess the strangest thing is we have this fan that – um she does crocheting. Mm-hmm. She does little, and any time that we say something inappropriate on the show, <laughs> she makes these little like, you know, something that would you, you'd see in a kitchen that would be a little circular, and it just says "home sweet home" or something, right? <laughs> but she makes true crime quotes, and they're always inappropriate. But it looks, but when you first see it, it looks like something nice and sweet it has little flowers on it. One of my catchphrases is use a piece of shit, uh, and she'll make those. And, and it's cool, too, because she makes a little extra money. We never charge her for it. We just said, hey, you know, if you want to make these, fine. And people buy them, and she makes a little bit of extra money, and she comes to see us at a couple of the meetups every year. So those are probably the strangest things, because the first time you see one, you're like, what is this? <laughs> Any other side projects you guys are working on, maybe a – putting a full video element into the show or maybe a, a series, anything like that? Well, okay, well, well, we'll never do a video podcast. I know that. I know a lot of people are going to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been asked, like, a lot to move, whether it's through ad agents or people that want to manage us. And, and managers are pretty big people. Uh, go on, move out to L.A., move to New York. We have a lot of opportunities for you. Um, that's not when we started this. We started it because we, we, liked, we liked the show. You know, we, we, we like talking true crime. We don't want to go do voiceovers on something else, you know. Um, that's just not our thing. But, so, but like I said, we, we do get – it does get a little sterile doing – doing the same kind of format every mm-hmm. week. So we, we're working on a, right now, I believe it's a, it's going to either be a six or eight part series and it's just a podcast series, but we're going to be, um, basically the whole story is told through the court documents. And so that's going to be different. Um, you won't hear our, uh, voices, uh, you won't hear our opinion, our opinions or thoughts on, on the case. We're going to be laying it out in a very unique way. It's going to basically be like a um, docudrama, basically, of this very fascinating case. And hopefully we get that out by September. Um, we're working on a very long part series. And I, I love everybody. It's weird. Our number one case that we've been suggested from the beginning has been John Benet Ramsey. And we never really fully covered it. And we've been talking about that. So there might be a long series with that. And we actually were shocked uh, multiple times. They wanted to turn the podcast into a TV show. Oh, really? At first, 
yeah, at first we were just so honored, like, oh, that's crazy. So we we ran with it, okay, and it was shopped to NBC. and, and that, But they couldn't – this is right when the true crime kind of craze was happening, and you just saw documentaries popping up everywhere. And so they wanted to make a show, but they couldn't really – come up with a good concept and we kept on coming up with concepts but they didn't like those and then they kept on saying well you guys aren't experts but now Nick has been on multiple documentaries he was on a documentary for the Amy Mahalovic case he's been on stuff for on uh, A&E he's been on stuff on Oxygen he's been on stuff and and they're calling him a crime expert so now those ties have changed a little bit and so because of that, and I've been working with a couple of private investigators on the Brian Schaefer case, if everything goes right, you might see us on something like Netflix or something because we're gonna, I really want to do a documentary on the Brian Schaefer case because I've uncovered information. And we just did um, a Brian Schaefer revisited episode mm-hmm. uh, with the guys from Crawl Space because they studied a missing person case for so many years. I wanted them to look at it, but it was the hardest episode we ever recorded because I have thousands of new pieces of information that I haven't released to the public because one, I'm either trying to confirm the information or we're waiting to have it all be released at one time. So, Wow, that's exciting, man. A lot of crap going on. A couple... (laughs) You gave me 53 minutes, right? Give me a couple more minutes. Uh, Go to True Crime Book and go to True Crime Documentary. Uh, I mean, that's tough because it depends on what you're interested in. Uh, The Devil's Knot is a great book. Mm -hmm. It it has a lot of information in it, but, you know, it's also one person's point of view. Devil's Knot is good. If you'd like the West Memphis 3 case, you're going to learn a lot about it through that book. That's a good book. The other one is Ohio author James Renner wrote a book called True Crime Addict. Oh, was that about uh, Murray? Uh, what's her name? Uh, Moria? Yeah, Mara Murray. Oh, so that's it's incredible It's roughly book. about that, but it's also about the fascination with crime and how involved you actually get. I mean... A year ago, or, or let's say two or three years ago, we were in a garage drinking beer, sweating on our computers. Now I'm talking to private investigators, victim, family members, um, detectives, lead detectives of cases calling and, and picking my brain for two or three hours about a case that they're trying to solve. Um, talking to guys... If if you follow the Tara Grinstead case, one guy's in prison. The other guy that ratted him out talked to me for two hours on the phone. You know, and now he's in prison, and he's going to do a lot of time. So the fact that, like, or like you said, you're friends with Damien Eccles. If Damien Eccles is giving me a tattoo, I am now so immersed in this world. And so True Crime Addict is a very fascinating book. Even if you're just just a true crime fan, even if you're not uh, uh, interested in the Mara Murray story, or and even people that don't like James Renner as an author will tell you it's a good book. Yeah, it's a really good book. This uh, will take you maybe mm-hmm. two days to read. That's it because you'll you won't put it down. This is gonna be a corny question. Uh, no, I have to ask you the corny question though. Any killer okay. or a subject of a case that you'll be what would be your dream true crime garage interview? Honest, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, and it will never happen. Okay. And I, and I and I understand that. My my, the biggest interview I would ever want to do is to talk with Damien. Um, and my friend Bob Ruff, which like I said, covered uh, the West Memphis Three case, was able to interview Damien. But it was so much about other things, not the case. Mm-hmm. And I and I understand that, and I and I also respect his privacy. But if if somebody said to me, 
and then I'll be 100% honest and I will tell you everything, that would be probably the best interview. Like, I, I couldn't think of another one. We're Maybe gonna, Adnan Syed? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it's not that great one. The first answer was better. Hey, I want to stress this <laughs> by saying this because your show, like, we're having fun. You're talking about drinking beer, you know, playing in bands. It's not just two random dudes in a garage, in a bar, talking nonsense about a case. You guys break it down to the most minute detail. I just want to finish up with how much work goes in through a, a typical episode for you. What type of research are you doing? Making notes, making music. You guys have the banter. What kind of uh, research and work goes into each episode? Well, we were actually talking about that uh, today, uh, right before Nick left. So I was saying, you know, my life is my life has been great on some levels and it's been very unhealthy on other levels uh when we started the show i was in the best shape of my life i'm in the worst shape of my life now um it's getting better but you know it's just like we recorded today now i'm talking to you in a little bit i'm going to be talking to the class and i don't know if i'm going to get a call from some random detective i've never heard of that says, hey, I got this case, and would you guys cover it? And the next thing you know, it's midnight, and you're going to bed. Um, and I have constant, I was just telling one of my friends, every night, uh, I have, for the last probably two years, I haven't had a normal dream, like a regular normal dream. Every dream that I've had has been some kind of awful experience. I'm in an autopsy. I'm... I'm I'm at a crime scene taking photos. Um, you know, I'm watching a true crime documentary in my dream or, you know, just awful nightmarish dreams. Um, but there's been so much uh, reward as well. And so I, I'm trying to work out that work-life balance. But as far as, like, the information, um, we, we picked cases – Sometimes a couple months out, we'll lay them out. Like, these are the cases we're going to do for the next two months, three months. And so you're kind of picking apart information as you go. And as far as the music goes, I can sit down and sometimes in 15 minutes I have uh, the music done for the show. And then I'll do other stuff, administrative stuff, as far as controlling the social media and website and all that stuff. The bulk of the information, the bulk of the details comes from Nick. And I always tell people, look, if you can put up with my nonsense, you're going to learn more about these cases than from any other show. And I love the other shows and I love the other hosts. But if you're going to tell me who knows who presented more information, I will put my money on Nick all the time. That's a great compliment for the guy who you're, gonna, uh, you, you're not going to be fighting with because you guys are going to stay friends, right? <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, my go-to is when we get in an argument, I say, I'm going to smash your face. Uh, and normally he goes, i like to see you try. And I'm like, well, you won't be able to see when I'm smashing it because your face will be smashed. So, uh, no, but he just, and we were, I mean, here's the thing. is when you're competitive with somebody, and I always was, I mean, he actually started a band, our a bunch of our friends started a band and he played bass. I played bass as well. And I remember thinking, well, I hate this guy. He plays bass. <laughs> and about a couple of weeks later, he calls me up and says, Hey, I want you to join my band because I don't look cool singing and playing bass. And, uh, I mean, we've been friends for so long, but everything that he's done, I've done better. You know, if he wanted to play bass, I played bass and I was better. If he played football, I played football and I was better. Um, but this thing, he's just better than I am and will always probably be better. And, um, and, and it's fascinating. I mean, there's so many weeks that I show up thinking I know a lot. And uh, normally he comes up with stuff I've never heard never read couldn't find uh, every now and then <laughs> he'll surprise I'll, you I'll, here and there well no he surprises me every week but but every now and then i will 
Uh, there's been a couple cases because because not only I mean he's doing the research, but I normally try to lay out how it's going to go. So we always have a meeting. Uh, we'll record the shows uh, tomorrow. We'll release them the first one Tuesday night, the next one Wednesday morning, and then Wednesday or Thursday we have a phone call. Most of the research is done, but then I'm going, okay, we, we, we start the story here, then we go here. So I'm laying it out more like the producer. But, yeah, he's, he's the talent. And, uh, you know, we pr- and look, if, and if he wasn't so talented, we'd probably do a bunch of other stuff. We'd probably be on TV already. We'd probably have a video web, you know, podcast. But the information is so important to him, and he knows that, with everything, you have fads, right? Mm-hmm. But what the people that were interested in true crime, which was a big genre 20 years ago, the people that are really interested are going to stick around and the shows that are credible, the shows that give you the most information, not just the funniest show or the most entertaining show, but the show that gives you a bunch of information that you don't fall asleep to, those shows are going to be around for 10 years. Any pressure you guys feel because, like you said, you're talking to detectives, but you're talking to a shitload of people. You guys are like kind of like the godfathers of the, you know, of the couch detective. Any pressure becoming an actual voice in the true crime like world? What do you mean by that? Like Like, you're putting out a show, you're doing the research, mm -hmm. your opinion. People hear an opinion you're saying, like, oh god, if the captain says this might be true. Any pressure to that now? Like you guys, I know you're having fun doing it, but. You are a real voice in the genre and in the true crime world. So any pressure with the shows, like taking it more, even though you do take it serious, but doing your research on it, being more diligent and stuff? Uh, well, it's easier to do research now because you, you, I mean, just talking to the detective for Tyler Davis, mm-hmm. he doesn't know podcasts, but he knows what podcasts are and, and where Three years ago, if you called somebody up and said, hey, I got a podcast, they'd be like, yeah, who cares? I don't even know what that is. And now the guy goes, well, cool. You know, uh, I'll talk to you. Um, like I said, I'm my father being a detective has really, you know, he never listened to the show for years. And now he listens to it a lot, calls me, gives me feedback, yelled at me when I uh, talk trash about the police. <laughs> Um, because he was such an honest person. He's always been such an honest person. And to a fault, I'm, I'm honest. Because if I lie, it's like I feel like I'm going to throw up. It's the worst thing. And I, I know I get that from him. It's like this blatant, honest. But I think if your heart's in the right place, ours is to put out information. If we can help, we can help. The the cops that listen to our shows, the private investigators that listen to our shows that are really trying to make a difference in these cases, they're going to take our thoughts with a grain of sand. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, it's great. I mean, we to have a police department send you an email saying, hey, we're monitoring your website because you covered this case and we're monitoring your Facebook and we're looking for any possible leads. That's, a honor um but you know also at the end of the day it's we are we're trying to be entertaining and the reason why we 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 listen to podcasts is, and most people that listen to podcasts is we have this lonely epidemic that's happening right now where everybody's on their phones and people put in the earbuds when they go grocery shopping i do it too we have longer commutes than we've ever had people driving for hours to get to work uh, people taking multiple subway stops to get to work. And if it wasn't for podcasts when I was traveling and playing in bands three or four nights a week, I think I would have lost my mind. And and people like Adam Carolla and, and uh, Joe Rogan and, and Opie and Anthony and, and all those people, you know, they become your friends, you know, in your head. Mm. And... And so we meet so many listeners that are like, oh, I listen to you guys all the time. I listen to you uh, every Wednesday on my way to work and on my way home. And I listen to This American Life pretty much every Sunday night or Monday night while I'm eating dinner. And 
that's still one of the biggest reasons why we're doing that. Because we know there's people out there that are being entertained and listening to us, and it means something. And then they'll go, I feel like we're friends, but we're not friends. And I'm like, no, we're definitely friends. I just haven't met you yet. You know? That's a great line. Now, listen, let's wrap it up with this. If you want to donate beer money, if you want to buy your kick-ass merchandise, not that you guys need any plugs or promotion, but give the Twitter, the Instagram, give everything right now. Yeah, all the uh, social media stuff is at True Crime Garage. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and that's the, the major ones. Um, and if you just go to our website, truecrimegarage.com, what's cool about it, too, is you can listen to all of our episodes there. We have a store page. Um, but we also have a really cool recommended reading page. So if you're really into true crime and you're looking for good true crime books to, to read, we try to recommend one every week. This will, listen, hey, I, even though I want you to get to New York City, if I do get to, to Ohio, because I watch a ton of sporting events, I'd love to link up with you guys, grab beer, and watch you guys do one of your shows. Yeah, well, the 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 show part might be hard, but uh, we're constantly at – we have a minor league team here for the, the Indians uh, called the uh, Columbus Clippers, and it's the best place in town to drink is Huntington Park. So we'd love to take you there and have a beer and a, and a good hot dog. Listen, keep up the great work, man. You Really, you guys are absolutely crushing it, entertaining everybody, and you're a great dude, my friend. All right. Have a great one. So nice meeting you.